Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How are you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio for 10 years, the number one Irish tech podcast bringing you the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, be it iTunes or Spotify or TuneIn. We keep you bang up to date on all things tech every day with hourly updates and daily newsletters which you can grab for free all on our website techcentral.ie. A little later in the show we're going to be talking to Autodesk CEO Andrew Anagnost and asking him about his idea on the future of making and a very interesting point of view he has as well. But first, uh, let's check in with our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson. And Niall, before you give us the news this week, I have a little news of my own. Uh, Yeah, okay, go on, hit me. I have fallen under the influence of an influencer. Oh, you've fallen down the social media rabbit hole, haven't you? <laughs> Do you know, I hate this expression, influencer, whoever came up with it. I just think it came from somewhere where the sun doesn't shine. Know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, however. Alaska. I, <laughs> I do watch this guy on uh, YouTube called, uh, I can't remember his name, but the name of the channel is Unbox Therapy. Okay. And he's a Canadian guy. And what he does is every week or every couple of days, he's got a brand new gadget, piece of tech or whatever, which he takes out of the box and then he tells us what he thinks. And if he can, he uses it briefly and shows you uh, how it is. And of course, I love my gadgets. So this is perfect viewing uh, for me. So he would do normally phones and tablets and laptops, and, uh, maybe some cameras and stuff like that. Um, but after Christmas, instead of going for the whole aspirational products that cost hundreds and thousands that one day I might buy this. Mm-hmm. He started buying the most popular things on Amazon to see what they're like. Okay. And he came out with a pair of Bluetooth headphones mm-hmm. um, from a company you've never heard of. <laughs> All right. right. But they've, they're the best-selling uh, headphones on Amazon, 11,000 positive reviews, and they were 20 quid. And the way he was kind of putting it was he was going, he's, I think he lives in New York or maybe Toronto. I don't know if he's moved. Um, but he's kind of like 20 quid. He goes, that's not even lunch. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of went, now I've had a thing with, with headphones. My New Year's resolution has been to get out for a, a walk every day, at least an hour. Mm-hmm. And the problem I have is that I don't want to wear over the ear uh, headphones. Um, and, 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 and there's a problem before that because my Samsung phone, as brilliant as Samsung is, the one place where it falls down is pathetically low volume. Okay. Yeah. Bit of a bugbear years. Oh, we talked about it before. Pathetically low volume, I'll tell you. Um, so like wearing normal headphones hasn't worked for me, whether they're in ear, the ones that came with the Samsung phone, they didn't increase the volume at all, uh, or wearing the over ear. So I kind of, oh, all right, 20 quid, whatever, so I'll try it. So I have come under the influence of that influence and I bought them. And do you know mm-hmm. what? what? They're not half bad. Okay, when you say half bad, I mean, you know, are you thinking these are good for the price or these are actually good? I'm thinking they've solved the problem that I had. So for 20 quid to solve that problem, I'm very happy. If mm-hmm. you were to look at them as headphones, I would say that they're possibly a little dull sounding. Mm-hmm. They don't handle the top end so well, but they handle lots of bass quite well. Mm. Um, but the one thing that it absolutely does for me is it uh, hits the volume. And I'm able to walk out in the street with all the street noise and I'm still able to hear my podcast as I go along. 
So, uh, I quite like it. So, I did, but it was just interesting more than anything else that I fell under the influence of an influencer. If you're interested in the headphones, uh, they're called M Pow. Sexy name, huh? Mm. Uh, and Unbox Therapy is the name of the channel on YouTube if you want to have a, a bit of gander itself. Now, I've taken up way too much of your time talking about my silly little news. Uh, what's going on? <laughs> what's what's going on in real news? In real news, okay, let's let's go to the uh, today's top story. Anyway, uh, we have another massive tax settlement uh, in uh, in the world of tech. Mm. This time, it's it's the French courts, and uh, let's let's uh, go for an amount. Okay, how much do you think is at uh, at work at the moment, and who is having to pay up? In the French court. Now, what, did we not have a story last week with, uh, with France and them leveling a fine on Google or something like that for, was it 50 million or something like that? I can't remember. Uh, yeah. I mean, these things are starting to, to bite across the board now. Okay. Um, is, and now what, what is the money for? Is it, is it, uh, is it tax? Is it a fine? What is it? Yeah, it's basically back taxes. Uh, you oh. remember, um, you remember this whole thing of the double Irish and all these sort of nice, uh, sweetheart deals and various, uh, structures, I guess, that were in place that mm. allowed, uh, multinationals to avoid paying their fair share of tax. Well, um, yep. France, um, has caught up Apple with, with Apple. So how much, caught up with how, Apple. how much is the bill for the back tax? 500 million. That's that's a spicy meatball, isn't it? That's a, well, no. <laughs> okay, why not? Uh, how much was it in Ireland? Okay, well, here we go. Right, the, <laughs> the Irish experience is a bit different. Uh, because <laughs> sure isn't it always? <laughs> it, isn't it always? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Europe thinks there was a special level of um, collaboration and shenanigans. So remind us, that five, 500 million in France. How much was it in Ireland? I think we're, what, 13.6 billion? Billion. <laughs> Which we don't want, <laughs> apparently. So France said poo-poo-poo on your uh, tax demands. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. Apple, after after suffering a loss of 13 billion, are just kind of going, yeah, yeah, it was only 500 million, we got away with that. Yeah, well, they haven't suffered a loss now, uh, strictly speaking, just yet. Um, mm. They they uh, their fine is being held in escrow, so it's basically a third a third party is looking after the money, mm. while uh, the government uh, over here appeals the award. Okay, um, goes to Europe and says, "Do, do you know what? Uh, it, no, we didn't help them at all. We don't want your thirteen billion. And <laughs> isn't this a bizarre situation? Uh, yes, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm still quite confident and it's the same with uh, Brexit at the moment is that we read what we read in the news of breaking developments, but I'm quite sure mm. that those breaking developments have all been carefully thought out in rooms that we will never have access to hours, if not days beforehand. Mm, okay, mm. so you think there's a bit of strategic linking? No, uh, I just, leaking I, just I think there's a lot more inside the government. Is you know, kind of, uh, they're they're thinking differently than you and I would. We just see 13 billion tax into Ireland from Apple. That's amazing. Uh, mm, but the uh, yeah. the government might have another uh, take on the amazing. Well, how does it fit in with Europe? How does it fit in with other tech companies? Uh, how does it fit in with our statuses? This, that, and the other. Maybe now I have no idea what they're thinking. I'm just saying. Okay. Well, look at it this way. We've got uh, a housing crisis uh, that 13 billion would go uh, a long way to helping 
uh, alleviate. We also have to bring our tax regimes in line to the rest of Europe, who look at us already and go, super low corporate tax, we're meant to be a trading block here, this isn't fair. Uh, but at the same time, saying to the multinationals, yeah, guess what, you know, c- come over here, we're great. Now, I think we're actually getting to the point where we're getting past the need for these very interesting tax arrangements that we don't have to um, attract companies because I think we have reached a critical mass. I mean, everywhere from Grand Canal Dock up as far as Charlemont Street in Dublin has been designated a, a so-called innovation district. So tech companies are here. They're not going away. There's a nice cluster effect. Um, I don't think we need to bribe them uh, with any special arrangements anymore. Um, by all means, I think we should collect the money. And you can place your vote for Niall Kitson for president or teacher. <laughs> <laughs> what else is going on in the news today? Uh, okay. Um, what else is going on in the news? Do you remember Google Plus? You use Google Plus, don't you? <laughs> no. I signed up for it. It was like, well, let's see what this is all about. <laughs> Nothing. Okay. Well, <laughs> Never uh, anyone. It again. Anyone with a Google account uh, has gotten an email over the past week saying, yeah, your Google Plus is going away. Jeez, we're really sorry. To which, oh, no. You know, my mom got this email and she said, do I have to do anything? <laughs> I was like, no, no, you don't. You didn't even know you had this. <laughs> I'm distraught. I'm shedding a tear. Whatever will I do for a social network now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how is this kind of going down in the world after the uh, uh, press release that Google Plus was was shutting? Is anybody surprised? Uh, nobody is surprised. Uh, I think it's one of these things that it's, I don't even want to say it's time because it was time a few years ago. Mm. Uh, there are certain, what we're, what we're discovering uh, over time when it comes to big tech companies is that people take them for the things they're particularly good at and are smart enough not to take them for everything. The example uh, that I would look at is Google and Search by all means, Google and Mail, by all means, Google and social, no. Facebook, social, by all means, email, no. Apple, good at devices, good at hardware. iTunes, by all means. Ping, do you remember Ping? Oh God, yeah. That was their music-based social network. Mm. No. So, you know, these companies don't win all the time. They always, there's always a a stumbling block over something. it's interesting because a lot of these companies have so much money they're able to get into into weird things and a lot of those weird things don't happen and then the occasional thing does so for example uh, it's Apple were absolutely fantastic at making computers for a long time mm. and then suddenly they decided uh, well let's try making a phone <laughs> or let's try making a music player and that completely mm. turned, turned around the, the fortunes of the company so sometimes it does work spectacularly mm. well it's like Google at the moment or Alphabet or whoever is doing it doing it with the self-driving cars uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Apple, that's another thing, actually. Apple have shut down their self-driving car division. Mm. What now? Come on, really? Would you buy a car from Apple? I mean, would you buy a car from Google? <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> those are good questions. Um, okay, oh. here's actually, here's a good answer. Okay, here's a go good on. answer, right? Would you buy a car from Google, a Google branded car? No, of course I wouldn't. Would you buy an Android powered Toyota? Oh... Now, there's a question. I, no, I don't think I would. Android, Android, Android powered in what way? Is, has that, Android I, suddenly turned into petrol? No, I, that your that your car's operating system in, in totality, including the driving bit, is Android. Does anyone care? 
Oh, I think so. I, I think, think I'd be more interested in whether it's diesel or petrol and, and, and all that kind of stuff or electric uh, or whatever. Yeah, but but I think these things will complement each other. Do you uh, know, I'll tell you, I, uh, what I wouldn't do is, uh, I, do you know what I would love to do? I would love to walk into, you know, a Jaguar showroom or a Mercedes showroom or a BMW showroom, one of the high-end cars with literally uh, a case of cash. Okay. Like with 50 grand in cash and just open it up again. Yeah, I was uh, thinking of buying a car. And then let them go through the whole thing, right? And then show me Mm -hmm. off about the whole Apple Play or the Google, whatever the equivalent of it is. Because these car manufacturers either go with one or the other. Yeah. And then just sit there and go, oh, oh, wow, amazing, brilliant. I must have this car. And then just as I'm handing over the case, go, oh, hang on. I don't have an an Apple uh, phone. (laughs) That car is useless to me. And then just walk away. Oh, Dusty, you're you're a mean man. Ah, it's only <laughs> only only a small percentage of me. The other ninety eight percent is good. I tr- I, I swear. <laughs> but um, yes, I suppose when you're talking about that, that would actually be a factor in my decision to buy a car, whether they had pre-installed Apple or whether they pre-installed uh, Google. But I would imagine because I haven't bought a car in a while uh, that if you are getting to that level, they'll say, "Well, which one do you want?" It would hmm. be the sensible thing to do, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, what what would the sensible OS be then? Well, it's whatever you use. So it's like, you know, I'd be more uh, an Android person, uh, whereas, you know, some of my friends be more Apple people. So it just depends mm. what you're used to and what you're comfortable with. Mm. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. You know, it's all about choice, which is yeah. why, which is why we are trying to convince people to vote number one, Niall Kitson for T-Shop. <laughs> Can you imagine? (laughs) Niall, thanks for keeping us up to date with all the news this week. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Now, if you have an interest in design, then you probably know all about Autodesk and its AutoCAD software. Earlier this year, the company announced the opening of a new Dublin office where it will employ 200 people. And at the occasion, Niall met with Autodesk CEO Andrew Anagnos to discuss what he means when he talks about the future of making. So, Andrew, I'm always fascinated by people's history when they, before they arrive in the C-suite, you imagine that people come from a business background or from a sales background. You've taken a slightly more circuitous route. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm an engineer by training. Actually, I'm an aerospace engineer and a computer scientist. I spent some time in my early career working at NASA, working on space program-related stuff, and uh, worked at a startup very early in my career doing simulation software for automotive industry and aerospace industry. And during that that journey, I, I discovered a, a job that was very different than what I trained for originally. It was product management. And I, I didn't know what it was. I'd never heard of this. What this thing, product management? It's like, wow. So we get to decide what problems we should solve for the customer and try to uncover what unmet needs customers have. And, and then plan out product roadmaps and product plans to address some of those concerns. And, you know, I was, I was hooked very early on, on that path. And that, that started while I was at the startup. And it evolved into, frankly, a, a lifelong career. I still consider myself a product manager in many respects. You know, I still think it's my job to help the company identify large-scale unmet needs in our customer base, you know, it's at a different scale, right? You know, when you early in your career, you're working on the end user 
problems, you know, point to point with the end user. At, at this point in my career, it's it's a different view of product management. But yes, I, I started my career as a product manager, not through the traditional business side. And uh, I, I actually did a stint uh, as the CMO of the company, which I think is hilarious because, you know, I absolutely had no training in marketing. But at that time, what we were doing was changing the whole business focus of the company. So my boss at, at that time, was, who was Carl Bass, kind of merged some of the business transformation functions and, and the new types of cloud offerings with the uh, CMO role. And I, I took that on to kind of drive some of the changes in the company. But you're right. I had a circuitous route to where I'm at. That move uh, to um, the SaaS model, it's a, it's a transition that an awful lot of companies struggle with, particularly when you look at the likes of Microsoft where people yes. just associate big box software with them. So what, how did you find the transition with uh, Autodesk and pr- particularly with AutoCAD seeing as they're, they're such iconic products? Well, you know, first let me give you a little bit of history. You know, why did we decide to make the change? And, it, you know, it happened there was, a, there was a big kind of coming together of, of leaders at the, at the company about eight years ago, maybe eight, nine years ago. And out of that meeting, we said, wow, you know what? Any software company that's going to be relevant or important in the future is going to be a SaaS software company. We, we didn't see it as a matter of, uh, well, you know, SaaS looks really interesting. Let's do that. We saw SaaS as this is just the way software is going to be done. There's so much more power in the SaaS model that everything's going to move that way. So we began the transition a little bit different, I'd say, than, um, than Microsoft and others did, where we just basically made a conscious decision. Any new product development we're going to do is going to be SaaS product development. We were going to launch new products as SaaS offerings. Now, there's been lots of challenges, of course. You know, when, when you have especially an iconic product like AutoCAD or Revit and Inventor, you have install bases that have been with you for a long time. And you start telling them that, well, you know, we're moving these products to be multi-platform. There's going to be a web version, a mobile version. There's going to be multiple desktop versions. There's going to be integrated cloud workflows. Some of them start saying, well, why are you doing that? Exactly what value does this have to me? The newer users get it immediately. So the, the users who have, have joined the ecosystem of Autodesk in the last five or so years – they get exactly what we're trying to do. But if you're an older user, your focus is on, wait a second, you know, you haven't fixed this bug, you haven't done this, I want this fixed. So part of the challenge has not just been developing the products, but it's also convincing the user base that, no, no, this is in your best interest too, because if you want to be a vibrant part of a design ecosystem and you want to be able to work with Autodesk, we have to go on this journey together. And that's been probably the most difficult challenge in the transition, besides changing the whole business model of the company and trying to explain that to a lot of people that you know might not have understood what we were doing at first. And I guess that presents the, your current... Um uh, message, I suppose you'd call it, uh, in the, looking at the future of making and the democratization of product development. Uh, I guess it's sort of inextricably linked to the SaaS model. It is. Actually, in many ways, it's linked to the SaaS model, but there's also other fundamental disruptions that are driving this. The SaaS model is one of them, and I'll, I'll, kind of, I'll kind of illustrate why the SaaS model is so important. W- one of the things, unlike kind of classic things like what you'd think with Outlook or email software or financial software or contact management software or Salesforce management software. Fundamentally, what we do with design tools is highly compute intensive. And when you increase access to compute power, you increase our availability to do really interesting things. So one of the things about SaaS and the cloud is that it's given us the chance to basically look at a future where we can exploit virtually free, it's not really free, I mean, it's, it's very low-cost compute power 
to really change the way people work. And what that's going to allow us to do over the next few years, of course, with the rise of artificial intelligence, but just also with the rise of just raw compute power, is link design and make decisions, like, for instance, design and manufacture, design and build, um, design and produce, and actually help people understand what the implications are in real time of making something as they design it. So we're actually driving design and make closer and closer together in terms of a process, which is really exciting. But the other kind of disruptions that are coming along with it are fundamental in two of our biggest markets, manufacturing and construction. In manufacturing, every manufacturer is looking at the way they build things right now, and they're seeing it changing. 3D printing looks like a toy still right now, but in 10 years, it's not going to be. There's going to be lots of highly customized, low-production products being made through 3D printers. Everybody knows it's coming, and they have to get ready for it. That's a completely different kind of manufacturing process. In the building world, I think everybody, you know, you see all these cranes out here, and you, you kind of recognize that right now a building is built as like this massive one-off. It's expensive. It's wasteful. There's not enough resources to keep doing this. Nobody has enough money to build everything that needs to be built. So construction's looking at itself and going, well, what if I build a building the way you build a car or an airplane? So these things are separate from SaaS, but they're just as important. And doing things in the cloud and moving design and make to the cloud actually allows us to drive some of these other disruptions and create really novel solutions for making it possible to industrialize construction or adapt to a new world of manufacturing where I could print anything. So we could get to a stage where you could almost have sort of preset designs for, okay, I'm building something in this climate with these planning regulations in place, and it's, it's almost, you know, Lego construction. It's prefabricated. It's assembled on site. You can even imagine a, a, a time where you've actually so precisely modeled the site preparation, meaning, you know, you've leveled the site, dug, dug the holes for the foundation, that a lot of that gets highly automated and gets very, very precise. So, yeah, you can think of it as kind of Lego-based construction or assembly. Now, a lot of architects go, oh, what's that going to do to the design? But you see, one of the things that's very interesting about this new world is that the, the core of the building can always be prefabricated and as simple as possible. Most of the core of most buildings are. But the exterior, the expression of the building, will be able to help architects automate all sorts of matters of really interesting ways of designing and building business buildings. Architects right now don't have a mentality where they could apply a advanced manufacturing method to a really swoopy design or some kind of really creative thing, but we can help them do that. So while many of the buildings will become prefabricated and assembled, that's not going to limit the creative power of how buildings look or how they express themselves within a city of any size. I think that's something we come across in, in uh, web design and development an awful lot, where you have UX people on one side and, and yes. coders on the other uh, having arguments over the same product. Is, th- is this something that you've seen down through the years as well? Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. There, there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's an ongoing cold war between architects and contractors and subcontractors, and frankly, between product designers, engineers, and manufacturers inside of large product de- design companies. There's always been this, this is what I want versus this is what I can do. The future is going to allow a lot more flexibility on what you can do 
And people are going to be able to get more of what they want into some of the things that they're going to be able to do. In fact, what it's going to allow us to do is customize things to a smaller and smaller group of individuals. You know, right now, the canonical way of, of doing anything in manufacturing is to produce tons of one thing, right? Imagine a world where you can produce, you know, dozens of one thing for a smaller group of people. So, yes, there's always been this battle between, quote, what's called the creative side and the pragmatic side. And what we're trying to do is introduce technology that helps those two sides talk together and work together in ways they never imagined possible. So this sort of brings us to uh, the future of making. And for me, this this could stretch as far back as skyscrapers to as small as something that happens on the kitchen table. Yeah. Uh, using SaaS, it really seems to open up software to people that uh, wouldn't ordinarily have experimented with product design. So what do you see uh, the future of making as being? Yeah, so th- th- there's a couple of aspects of the, of the future of making that are really important. One is this broad access to... Uh, what we'd classically call the means of production. And I'm not talking about the means of production in the capitalist sense. I'm talking about the means of production and how you actually build something. We're, we're moving towards a world where more and more people will have affordable access to what we like to call configurable microfactories, little small factories that they can send their ideas into and hard assets come out. Right? And that might even be hard assets for a product idea, or it could even be modular components for building a play structure in your backyard for your kids. This is going to empower a lot more people to be able to build something that's in their head. And when you layer on top of that what we're able to do with compute power and artificial intelligence, and I, you know, I use artificial intelligence carefully because it's really machine learning that we talk about right now. We use this broad category of art- artificial intelligence, but it's really machine learning driven automation that's really front and center right now what we'll be able to do is capture so much of the skill of an advanced designer into the software that anyone will be able to look at various options for what they can do and leverage some of these new means of production to make things so in the future this 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 future world of making you're going to see a lot more people making things and you're going to see a lot of the more sophisticated things that are being made being made for a lot less money with a lot less material waste, which means we can actually build more of the things that need to be built right now. And there's lots of demand, especially, I mean, just look, I, I, we, I, I read just here and we'll talk about tomorrow, there's a housing crisis in, in Ireland. It's not unique. Everyone has a housing crisis. It's very difficult to find enough money to build all of the things that need to be built. We think automation... The future of making can actually help people make more of these things and do it in a really cost-effective and resource-effective way. And that was Niall Kitson talking to the CEO of Autodesk, Andrew Anagnost, about the future of making and more. Uh, that's almost it for our show this week. Just before we go, Niall's still with us. What is our one more thing? One thing we couldn't get into the podcast that is on the website. Yeah, well, great news if you happen to live in Meath because Syro is investing some 20 million euro in the county and uh, you might be in line to get a gigabit broadband connection. Wow, and we love Syro. Out of all the options, I think it's uh, definitely our favourite. That is on the website. Get the lowdown on that and all things tech uh, with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more on techcentral.ie. And of course, you can listen to us each week online or Fridays at five on DAB Digital Radio with our RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, though, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, Afanal Kitson, thank you so much for listening and have a 
great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.